Thank you, Claire. I mean, this has just been such an incredible year for you and this book. Have you been surprised by the reaction there's been to this? I have been surprised, but you have to understand too that releasing a book this year is sort of like you're floating in a sensory deprivation tank and you're kind of waving your hand up out of it with a book inside it and hoping that people grab onto that. You're not feeling it in the same way that you would if you were going to local bookstores, reading out loud, getting to meet people. So it all feels a little bit distant, a little bit far away. It hasn't exactly come home to me yet. Mm, But then you have had this incredible shortlisting for the Booker Prize. And of course, you were shortlisted for the Women's Prize too. Um, Last time we talked, you told me you were just excited to put on a dress and go to a party. So I, I need to know, how was it to put on a dress and go to a party for the Women's Prize? It was amazing, except my dress might have been really ugly. I'm not sure. So what happened was it was very up in the air to the very last second whether the American writers were actually going to go because things have been really crazy here in the U.S. with Delta. And then at the last second, it turned out that everyone was going. So I hopped on a plane, too. And at the very last second in my town that I live in, Savannah, I went to the first dress store uh, that I saw open. I grabbed two dresses off the rack. I ran in wearing double masks, tried the dresses on, ran home with them, stuffed them in my suitcase, and then put them on basically for the Women's Prize Ceremony. I think in the end, it ended up being cute. Um, <laughs> so flaked. I think it's coming down on the side of being cute. Not that it helped me. Susanna Clark kicked my ass. But I think that the dress was cute in the end. Yeah, Susanna Clark did win it for Piranesi. But look, um, it was a fantastic shortlisting, as is this one. Um, we've spoken about no one is talking about this before on the book show. And it's this book of two very distinct parts. In the first half, we meet this woman who's addicted to the portal, to the internet. Can you tell me a bit more about this woman? Yes. I mean, really, that's all of it. You know, you start out at the very beginning of the book and she is just um, completely sort of mainlining the internet all day, every day. And she has all of these observations about it. And I wanted to construct that part in such a way that it really felt like the internet. So we're seeing it through her eyes, but it's also the kind of collective eyes so that all of us recognize it. All of us have, have remembered these days. We all know what's happening in her mind as she goes on the portal. And it's fair to say that this woman is quite similar to you as well. You've, you know, you've been this person who's been very addicted to this portal too. Yes, I've been very addicted to online. I did make her hair curly, so I thought that was quite clever of me. (laughs) We'll never Uh, know. (laughs) I was like, they'll never know. It's not me. This one has curls. The style of the writing is so unique. It's fragmentary. There are disjointed thoughts and a lot of white space. So it's something like Twitter, but it's not Twitter. How did you land on this very particular style? It was decided from the very beginning. I thought that it had to have that feel where you're sort of encountering morsels. You're sort of um, popping snacks in your mouth as you go. Um, I didn't see any other way that it would have been an unbroken block of text or even something like Lucy Ellman's Ducks Newburyport, where it's one unbroken sentence, which is also a really good idea if you're trying to communicate this modern feeling. But I thought that it had to communicate that sense that I had of going into this place and sort of picking up breadcrumbs as I went. Okay, well, talk to me about the second half of the book, because this is where the protagonist really gets dragged into her real body and her real life. What happens? Why does, why does she have to move out of the portal? 
She is faced with a family crisis, and this is where the book took a turn for the more autobiographical. Um, I have said in speaking about it that I actually did experience that turn, that rupture in the writing of the book. I was writing about the internet, and then suddenly I found myself writing about my own life. Um, basically in the book, uh, her sister is diagnosed with a very risky pregnancy. Um, her sister's life is in danger, and it is assumed that the child she is carrying will not be born alive. Uh, and that turns out to be untrue. And it takes her through the rest of the story with her sister, with that child. And you've been so generous in speaking to me about this before. I really recommend people do go back and listen to that interview where you talk so openly about that experience. Uh, but I have been wondering, you wrote this book soon after the loss of your niece, that very tragic loss. Now a bit of time has passed. How do you relate to this book and the story it tells? Has that changed? You know, I'll tell you something very honest, which is that I have a feeling almost um, a physical reaction when I put when I pick up the book that's almost of, of, of terror, of wanting to throw the book away from me. And I couldn't figure out why this was true. Um, I had worked on this book and I had labored on this book partly so much because I loved my niece. And then I realized it was because as long as I was writing it, I felt that I was keeping her alive. And the moment it was finished, the moment it entered into its final physical form, that was no longer true. It was no longer in flux. And so it represented something quite strange to me where I could no longer control the situation in any way as I had felt maybe that I was controlling it when I was writing the book. So it's been very interesting. I'll sometimes read out loud from it and I'll really seize up or be struck by this wave of emotion that it's over, that I'm not writing it anymore, that I can no longer change things. You were also telling me about the people that had come forward to speak to you about their reactions to the book, the stories that they had shared. Is that still happening? Yes, very much so. And actually at the Women's Prize ceremony, actually the reading the night before, um, there was a signing line. People came to you and they got their books signed. And that was maybe the most moving part uh, that I hadn't even imagined for myself that I would be speaking to people in real life, that I would get to have that experience that I'd had with pre-study where people came up to me afterwards and they talked to me about how this related to their own lives. And um, that is when I was overwhelmed, when I was getting to speak to people in person and see their faces. No one was wearing masks. And it was uh, just unbelievable to me that I was getting to have this moment that I never thought that I would. Mm. And you referred there to Priest Daddy, which is your memoir. Uh, last time we spoke, um, we also talked about your recovery from COVID. Um, you were facing quite a lot of long-term challenges, um, including a bit of a bit of difficulty with reading, focusing. How's that going now? It is actually going a lot better. So I did go to the neurologist and I got an MRI. And of course you expect the worst, but everything was fine. It just turned out that I had quite a few um, extreme vitamin deficiencies. <laughs> so that was a good, that was good news. So he put me on a bunch of vitamin D, magnesium, calcium, uh, apparently a lot of things that I wasn't getting. And I am doing a lot better. And I was able to travel. I was able to, you know, 
sit for eight hours on an international flight. I was able to um, sort of put myself through the physical rigors that uh, overseas travel entails, and I was okay. So I am very optimistic for the future. Yes, when I spoke to you, I believe um, we were saying during the pre-show, that was the interview where I had ordered $23 of Wendy's uh, right before I had gotten on the Zoom with you <laughs> and given myself like a massive migraine and turned really stupid in the middle of the interview. <laughs> well, it was a great interview. So imagine if you hadn't done that, how good it would have been. <laughs> I know. If I hadn't had the Wendy's, it would have been amazing. But no, I am feeling much better and finding myself able to do um, many more things. So for people out there who are still experiencing that, and people who are afraid of it, it does seem to be something that dissipates with time. And it also seems to be something that you notice more than other people, as in the instance of my $23 worth of Wendy's interview. <laughs> That's so good to hear. <laughs> uh, are, you, are you writing now, Patricia? I am. I'm writing like crazy ever since I got home. I've been writing, I don't know if we discussed this, but these very short little stories that were all based on the notebooks, the mad notebooks, I call them, that I kept um, immediately after I had COVID. And they're just very exciting to me because they're they're not safe stories. Um, they're very personal. They're uh, putting myself forward as a person who is not an authority, as a person who is maybe untrustworthy. So they're very interesting to me. But yes, I had this amazing experience where I went over, I got to meet Susanna Clark, the loveliest woman in the world, uh, Yagi Asi, Cherie Jones, uh, Claire Fuller, Britt Bennett. Um, I got to meet all of them and it must have been invigorating. I came home and I just immediately started working like mad. Oh, well Goodness knows what will happen when you get back from the booker. Uh, Patricia, I'm, <laughs> I'm so thrilled you've been shortlisted. Congratulations and good luck. Thank you.